I want to give a talk. I've given tons of talks in the last uh, two weeks, but this is a talk I gave part of it once before. Um, to me, it seemed like the right selection. I don't don't know why, but I, I just chose it, and it involves something that um, it includes an idea that I figured out this year that's actually been helping me, <coughs> excuse me, to be a little bit healthier uh, on the on the inside in my brain, and uh, I, I really like my brain. I have a very very nice brain, I think, but it's uh, a <laughs> But boy, does it get troubled sometimes, and uh, and even more as I get older. You know, um, sometimes it's it's hard to sleep at night, just anxious thoughts over and over again, circles, and and uh, and so um, I actually I came upon a thought while I was preparing a talk that has been having some practical influence in my life, and I, so I wanted to share that. And uh, so the name of my talk is maintaining joy. Um, yeah, it started out as an Advent talk. You know how you have joy and advent and peace and hope and love. These are the ideas that we think about it at Christmas. And uh, so I was getting ready for Christmas, but I never got to give it at our church because um, I'd invited this indigenous man whom I respected very much to come and lead us in a prayer. And he led the prayer so beautifully, thanking all of the insect nations and animal nations and elements. It sounded like the prayer of St. Francis, you know, and then the Creator. And it was so beautifully done that everybody spontaneously just started asking him questions afterwards. And so I never got to my sermon. So later in the new year, I worked on it again, and I brought it, and I thought, what could be more important than learning how to live a joy-filled life um, and to hold on to joy? And there's so many things that take it down. You know, it's so easy to get knocked off the path of joy. So anyway, I think that if you want to study joy, maybe the first thing that you want to do is examine what it isn't. So... Um, you can just, thanks, Zach. Examining what it isn't, let's walk away from joy to see what maybe, and then come back. The thing that, um, yeah, I want to say about that first is from a Buddhist monk who said, to love without knowing how to love wounds the person we love. To, to love without knowing how to love. Sometimes we really do love, but we, but we don't love well. To love without knowing how to love wounds the person we love. And today in this talk, I want to say, and that's particularly true in the ways that we love ourselves. Sometimes we don't love ourselves very well. Um, I just thought I'd do this. Matt will have this PowerPoint. If you're interested in, some, in the next part of what I'm going to say, a lot of what I'm going to say comes from the Bible, but also a lot comes from some research that I did in psychological journals and TED Talks. So I just wanted to put my sources up. And, and the PowerPoint, you can get from Matt these sources. Or if you're interested in this topic, if you just Google complain, Google complain, you can learn a lot about this, about how, about how to get rid of joy. <laughs> I think I'm telegraphing what I'm <laughs> going to say. Um, in Philippians chapter 2, 14 to 16, it says, Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Do all things without grumbling or disputing in this translation, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I'll have reason to glory because I didn't run in vain nor toil in vain. St. Paul loves the Philippian church, and he's a little concerned because there's some ladies in the church that aren't getting along very well. And so he says to them some of the most beautiful things in the New Testament. In four little chapters, he says, learn how to honor people more than yourself. Um, 
He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a bondservant. So he has some of these beautiful sayings in, in these four chapters in the New Testament. Beautiful book to study. But I think there's a secret in this passage. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you'll prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, among whom you would appear as lights in the world. In other words, if you did things without grumbling and disputing, you would be shining examples of something that most people don't get to see very often. We're, we're so used to complaining, we're so used to a negative spin on things, that you'd, about the most countercultural and revolutionary thing you could do would just be to not do that. Isn't, <laughs> isn't that amazing? You know, if you, you want to be a revolutionary, like I, I love to listen to revolutionary thoughts sometimes. It's not that I buy it all, but you know, I'm, I'm very interested in new thoughts and, and people looking at corporate systems and thinking, yeah, it's not just for everybody. I really like to do that. I'll, you know, I could channel Russell Brand for a few minutes, but <laughs> probably only a few minutes. But, but I, I, I think the most countercultural and most revolutionary thing we could do would be to learn to be lit up for God. Is that, is that a, an idiom that works here? Lit up, on fire, alive, just loving who we are and giving ourselves away. And doing that as God's representative on the earth, that's, that's, a, that's probably a big enough job. You know, we need meaning to live well. And actually, we have a very meaningful task to be God's representative in our jobs and our families and our communities. And, uh, and to do it, we need to learn how to let God heal up the stuff that's broken and then, and let it, and then learn to shine with life so that we have something to offer others. Now, here's some of the stuff that I learned from the psychology journals. Joy depends upon gratitude, but it's very, we're often more affected by sorrow than we are by happiness. Ah, oh, there we are. <laughs> Do you work with, um, with Mac computers or with... This may be difficult to read. <laughs> Weirdly, we're often more affected by sorrow than we are by happiness. Uh, one of the professors in a TED Talk says this, if I, if I have a little victory in a week, say I've been working really hard and I've been preparing a journal, a journal article, and uh, it gets accepted, my happiness soars all the way through mid-morning coffee break. But by lunchtime, I'm just about normal again. However, if somebody says something to me that hurts my feelings... I'm probably still stewing about it on Friday. Isn't that a bit weird? I don't know why our brain goes this way. It might have something to do with saber-toothed tigers around the bend. <laughs> you know, maybe, we, maybe it's good for us to have sort of a negative focus. Maybe it's protection. I don't know. But um, it's very... And here's another thing. The psychologists have, have proven through experiment it's harder to change a loss perspective to a gain than it is to change a gain to a loss. If I have um, a very high opinion of you and you do something that shocks me and, I, and it takes it down, it's very, very hard to turn that around again. Yeah. If it turns into a negative perspective, it's very hard to turn it back. Now, if it's a, if it's a negative, um, yeah, it's very difficult to change. So it's possible that there are physiological reasons for this and the way the brain works. Um, 
One of the things that I learned is a strange phrase, but it's been sticking with me. It's called synapses that fire together, wire together. Have you ever heard that? Synapses that fire together, wire together. Our brains are made of a trillion neural connections, you know, synapses. And what our brain works because of electrical impulses that go back and forth through and between the neural connections. That's the way our brain works. Synapses that fire together, wire together. For some reason, it's easier for humans to have a negative thought than a positive thought. And once you've had it once, you'll often have it twice. And once you've had it three times, it's a cluster. From that point on, you're going to live with the same thought. That's just the way your brain will work because your electrical impulse will bounce there automatically. A passage has been built. Does this make sense? Yeah. So it's a little bit like you've created your own pinball machine in your head. <laughs> I've never had that image before. <laughs> so we create the neural pathways, and in some ways, this is a bit weird, but in some ways we are our own parents because we're giving birth to ourselves and our character through the, ways, through the things that we think over and over again. In some ways we are our own parents. So... Um, this is what I read in one of the articles. Most of us would try to refrain from breaking wind in an elevator. Not trying to be too offensive, but one of the psychologists says, complaining is actually emotional farting. <laughs> so you know what you're doing in a room is you're taking down the whole atmosphere for everybody else. When you start to just express your negativity and your anger and your frustration and, oh, and you see the all blacks last night, you know, well, did they do okay last night? <laughs> they didn't play last night. All right. Okay. Did you see the all blacks in South Africa when? No. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know anything about that. So what happens is that we affect all the people around us. And another thing that people are learning about the brain is that there's something called mirror neurons. And mirror neurons are wonderful because they help us to be empathic. They help us to pick up the moods of people that are around us. But they also, um, almost involuntarily, we pick, we pick up the moods, like in a good way, to be able to empathize. But in a bad way, we just seem to go to the mood of the people that are around us much more easily than we think. So these are mirror neurons. And, um, yeah, if you live your life in negativity, according to these journals, you're not only walking away from joy, you're actually setting yourself up for all kinds of health problems. Um, I, if you have time in your life, you might love to watch a TED Talk by Sean Acor. He's a, he's a, teaches happiness at Harvard. He's a, a psychologist whose field is happiness. Teaches it at Harvard. And he's really funny to listen to. His talk's 14 minutes. It's worth it. If you, it's Sean Acor, A-C-H-O-R. And what he demonstrates is that in virtually every job, you perform better if you're on positive. Um, physicians diagnose better when they're having a better day. Um, people learn better when they're on positive. It's, uh, when you're on negative, um, everything goes down a step. And he says that one of the wonderful things that we now know about the brain is that we can change the brain. So if your brain has been really set, synapses that fire together, wire together, and you feel just lost it, now we know that you can change it. And Sean Acor says it's as easy as this. If, if for the next 21 days you intentionally wrote down three things that brought you joy, three things you were grateful for, three different things, and you looked for them, 
by the end of 21 days, you're actually looking for things that are good rather than things that are bad. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So you have a, you know, you're, you're, you are your own parent. If you want to change your brain, you can. Maybe you have nice brains too. Now, I need some volunteers. I need some active and enthusiastic volunteers. I need four of them. Um, please come up. <laughs> there, there we go. Please do. Yeah, there's one. One, two, three, four. Got it. Okay. What's your name? Kevin. Hi, nice to meet you. Name? Samara. I'm Peter. Leanne? Leanne. Okay. Um, let's have... I already know Kieran. Okay. Okay. Kieran, can you go very far away? <laughs> Leanne, can you be right here? And can you be getting ready to throw a football? Do you know what American football is? Can you be getting ready to throw it all the way to Kieran? He's 100 feet away. Okay, Kevin, can you stand here? Okay, and Samara, can you come just to here? Okay, and can you be ready to catch a football that Kevin throws to you? This is the thought that's been changing my life, so I need to, you know, we need to stretch it out. And like, okay, now, if we have two, two pairs, and they're both throwing an American-style football, I know, why would you do that? It's a violent game. Um, but, but they're both throwing, maybe you can come in just a little. <laughs> so, Kieran, that's good is going to be 100 feet away from Leanne, and Kevin and Samara are going to be 10 feet away. Get ready. At exactly the same moment, I want you to release the, your footballs. Yeah, you have to throw it. Yeah. Don't hit my iPad or the computer. The guitar is okay. <laughs> so what I want you to do is, to, is at exactly the same moment, when I say on your mark, get set, go, I want you to throw it, and I want everybody to guess which one will get there first. <laughs> and it's not a trick. On your mark, get set, go. That's all I needed you to do. Thank you so much. I've never had anybody do that before, and both pairs successfully catch it. I've only actually done it once before. <laughs> it was at Shore Vineyard, and they weren't nearly as athletic. Um, that's the way your brain works. Um, if you have had a thought over and over again, there's an electrical impulse that will go to the same thought, and it's going to go there faster than it will go to another thought. But you know what? This is what's been really changing me is because I don't know why, but because I, it didn't happen earlier in life. But I have strange worries and strange worry patterns now that I, you know, I think must be partly physiological, partly related to stress at work. And so I, I'm often troubled at night especially, and I have crazy fears sometimes. Fears that I know that if I was really awake, I could defeat, but, but it's hard to do it. So what I've learned is um, that's just the way my brain works. It's just totally okay. It's absolutely fine. That's my, that little neural passageway has been built and that thought, that little electrical impulse will go to the place 
that's closest to it. Synapses that fire together, wire together. But I don't have to take that as reality. What I have to do is just say, well, that's just what my brain does. So then what I do is I say, well, wonder if there's a better thought out there. So I go fishing for it into the dark of the universe of my brain until I find a thought that I like. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. And so sometimes, you know what it does? It just allows me to be reflective rather than reactive. It just means that it's not, I'm not troubled if I have a bad thought or an angry thought or a sinful thought. I just, I just go, oh, that's what my brain does. I don't know why it got to this place, but that's what my brain does. But I don't need to be a victim. I don't need to live like that. I can just absolutely wait for a minute and then look for a better thought. There's a hope that's waiting for you in the dark. I took this from a popular song. Have you ever heard of uh, Alessia Cara? There's a, I'll, I'll show you a picture of her. Yeah, Alessia Cara. She's a young singer from Canada. I think she's only 22, and she sang a, a song for the Moana movie um, and became quite popular. And then she's done this song that I think is incredible called No Scars to Your Beautiful. Have you, has anybody ever heard it? No Scars to Your Beautiful. It's, it's like number one in North America right now, and, and it, it seems to be just uh, touching people very deeply. And to me, it's about the same as a song in my generation by Janice Ian. Did you ever hear the song at 17? I learned the truth at 17 that love was meant for beauty queens and high school girls with clear-skinned smiles who married young and then retired. The Valentines I never knew, the Friday night charades of youth were spent on one more beautiful. At 17, I learned the truth. And those of us with ravaged faces, lacking in the social graces, desperately remained at home, inventing lovers on the phone who called to say, come dance with me, and murmured vague obscenities. It isn't all it seems at 17. Do you remember that? How many, how many people remember that song? Yeah. For me, it was, uh, I don't know why, I just loved it. I loved the music of it. I loved, I loved the, the thought. And, oh, what, a, what an arbitrary and stupid standard of beauty we have in our society and how we hurt people with it. And what an arbitrary and stupid standard of, of everything we have in our society usually. You know? So here are the words to Alessia Kara's song. Um, she just wants to be beautiful. She goes unnoticed. She knows no limits. She craves attention. She praises an image. She prays to be sculpted by the sculptor. Oh, she don't see the light that's shining deeper than the eyes can find it. Maybe we've made her blind, so she tries to cover up her pain and cut her woes away. Because cover girls don't cry after their face is made. But there's a hope that's waiting for you in the dark. You should know you're beautiful just the way you are. You don't have to change a thing. The world could change its heart. No scars to your beautiful. We're stars and we're beautiful. Isn't that lovely? So that's one of the most popular pop songs in the world right now. It's good thinking. She has dreams to be an envy. So she's starving. You know, cover girls eat nothing. She says beauty is pain and there's beauty in everything. What's a little bit of hunger? I could go a little while longer. She fades away. She don't see her perfect. She don't understand. She's worth it. Oh, the, or the beauty goes deeper than the surface. Oh, so to all the girls that's hurting, let me be your mirror. Help you see a little bit clearer the light that shines within. No better you than the you that you are. No better life than the life we're living. It's a, it's a very powerful message and I think really important. 
And I think that a lot of our destruction of joy comes with our being displeasing to ourselves and taking arbitrary and stupid standards and applying them to ourselves instead of realizing that we're uniquely and wonderfully made in the image of God. And every one of us is different and that's the way it's supposed to be. Preach it. <laughs> I, like, I like that. Now, when she says no better life, no better you than the you that you are, no better life than the life that you're living, I totally agree with her in the context of the song. But I also think that there's another way that you could look at it. And the other way is this. I want to grow. As a human being, I, I want to keep growing. I want to keep thinking. In, a, in our community at the university, one of our best professors always prayed for our graduating students. Oh, may you be anchored with wings. I just love that. Like, may you live in a community where you're known and loved, but you, may you be free to travel. Um, may you have a deep, rich belief system about how life works and how to please God. Can you be anchored in that? But, but can you be free to have a new thought? You know? Um, oh, yeah. It's, you can apply it all over the place. Anchored with wings. <laughs> in, in, in our church, what we've been doing sometimes is we're, we're very anchored in the kind of music that we use. If we use... Um, uh, music that's absolutely clearly reflecting our values. But every once in a while, we find something very beautiful on the radio. It's not even written by, uh, as a wish, worship song, but we love what it says. So we'll go wings for that morning. Anchored wings. Anchored wings. So here are a couple more scriptures. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because... You know, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Apparently, even when things go wrong, there's something to learn. So we can, we can consider everything. There's a joy in everything. And this goes along with this incredible verse in 1 John, so loved by Alcoholics Anonymous, because they say there's really only two powers in life. There's the power of fear and there's the power of love. So there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. So what we want is less fear, more love. Right? Yeah. And this is incredible, and I think goes along with what I'm saying very well, almost as though the Bible wanted to back me up. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Doesn't that make sense in terms of the football passing? You know, take every thought captive. You do not have to be the victim of the first thought that comes into your brain. Now, the person that I love the most in all of Christian history who taught me about... about not being displeasing to yourself is a, a, a French Carmelite nun who died at age of 24. Uh, her name is Therese de Lisieux. She lived in Normandy in the 1800s, and she's now considered one of the most beloved saints in the Roman Catholic world. Um, she's, a, she's a marvelous person to study. She spent, she, she said, I'd like to be a missionary, but not just one place. I'd like to go everywhere. But I'm too sick. They won't let me leave this convent. Um, I'd like to be a martyr, but not just one kind of death for Jesus. I'd like to die every kind of death. But they'll never let me do anything here. So she says in the end, I've learned at last the secret of how to repay love. Love can only be repaid by love. 
So she said, I think what I will do is not great heroic things, but I'll learn how to do always the tiniest, smiling, beautiful things. Like never missing a chance to encourage someone, never missing a chance to say something true that's good, never missing a chance to, um, to fight for the good, just never missing a chance to encourage or hug when it's appropriate. And she said, I think what I'll be doing is putting flowers in the throne room of heaven. So what her, her thinking comes down to is it's not great heroic acts. It's small things done with great love that change the world. And so um, there was a, a nun who came in the 20th century who said, I would like to have her name. I don't want the name of the great Saint Teresa of Avila. I want the name of the little Teresa, Therese de Lisieux, the one who was only 24. You know who I'm talking about, Mother Teresa. She chose her name, and then she went out and she lived her vision. And the whole world watched and said, oh, my goodness, that's what it looks like. Just little things done steadily. That changes the world. So Therese de Lisieux, in a letter to her sister, said this, if you are willing to serenely bear the trial of being displeasing to yourself, then you will be, for Jesus, a pleasant place of shelter. I think it's kind of hard to understand it. I mean, I wrestled with it at first. I saw it in a book by a psychiatrist. If you are willing to serenely bear the trial of being displeasing to yourself, in other words, the human condition is to be displeased with yourself. Have you ever, has anybody here sort of never felt displeased with yourself in any way? <laughs> um, you know, the hum- I think we all know what it is to be a little frustrated or to feel, oh, I'm not as strong or as smart or as this or as that. And we're always doing this to ourselves. And she says, if you're willing to serenely bear this, if you're willing to serenely bear the trial of being displeasing to yourself, then Jesus can handle it, and he'll be your companion. He'll come to you as soon as you will let him. But most people keep God at arm's length because they feel shame. They just feel like, if, when I get my life together, then I'll, then I'd, you know, I'd like to be more full of God. When I get my life together, maybe. You know, that's, that's normal. But, but that's not actually the way it works. The way it works is... Um, you let God see who you really are, actually are, in all of your brokenness, all your craziness, all of your sin. And then God comes close. He's not offended. He loves you. He just fills your life. And then he begins to transform you and change you. It's just unbelievable. Like, it's what a system. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of our religious life from the past centuries wasn't helpful. Some counselors this, this, this century said, you know, if you want to think about it, there's really only one sermon being preached all around the world every Sunday. Three points. God is great. You're not. Try harder. <laughs> that doesn't actually change anybody. <laughs> you know, it's kind of counterproductive. But when you start to understand that God loves you as messed up as you are, loves you completely, is absolutely crazy about you, gobsmacked about you, then, then you let him come close. And when he comes close the defenses that you've put over your spirit start to melt. And you find yourself sometimes even weeping and you don't know why. And, and then the next thing that happens is you're starting to become enriched on the inside because you've invited the participation of the living God and he takes it seriously. And so as he starts to enrich you, two things happen. The first is comfort. You feel, oh, I'm loved. I'm loved. I mean, it's, you really feel, I'm loved. But the second thing is, you go, oh, shoot, there's more light around than there used to be, and I can see that there's a need to clean some things up. Oh, darn. <laughs> so then you work on your life a little bit more, and then what happens is the next phase, which is comfort again. 
And then the warmth of, of God's presence just makes you strong. And then you see, oh, there's more to do. And this is how we grow. The light comforts us and it heals us by showing us the truth about ourselves. I don't think we could take the truth about ourselves, really, if we didn't have the comfort. The comfort's a gift to make you know that you're loved so that you can handle the next step of growth. Because who wants to stay forever just the way you are? Billy Joel. I love you just the way you are. So when Alessa, Alessia Cara says there's a hope that's waiting for you in the dark, it makes me think that I want to play catch with love, not fear. I want to play catch with truth, not lies. And I want to play catch with joy and not the dismal hole of self-doubt. I'll just show you an example of a guy I just, I just met. Um, sometimes small schools that want to form will come to our university and they say, we, we like your philosophy and your, we wonder if we could work under your guidance. And this just happened to us in the last year. A new master's program got started in a, a group in Canada that we're sending some teachers to and affirming the other teachers and sponsoring the program. And uh, I, this guy is teaching in the program. I didn't know him, but he's, he said, we have some mutual friends and since I'll be close teaching, would, would it be okay if I come and spend some time with you? So he's a pastor from Western Canada. And um, this guy is just a living example of uh, a joyous human being. I thought, I'm very impressed with him. Um, he's not a naive person. He's, he's completed a doctorate. He, but he, and he's a pastor who works hard. But um, he just has these great ideas for impacting his community. One thing is he loves bees. He, just, he was talking to some guy in the community who was just really, really gifted with bees. And so he said to him, can you teach me? And so the, he, he ended up becoming a mentor to him. So what he did was he started going into all the elementary schools and teaching about how important it was to have bees in our communities. And he got all the kids to send letters to city council with crayons written out, let us have bees, let us have bees. Now his city is the very first city in Western Canada that's an official bee city. They're allowed to keep bees within the city. They have, and he has a community of 250 people who are beekeeping and he's giving them all the principles of how to live well in community without telling them that they're a church. <laughs> Isn't that a cool thing? But here's one other thing. This guy, I think the guy's a little over-the-top gifted. He, he wanted to communicate to people around him how beautiful they were. And he wanted to communicate it. Just, um, yeah, Zach, move forward to the picture of the man with the hat. Well, this is the picture of the man... Uh, no, go back one. That's, that's the guy we're talking about. Joyous face. Preston. And then, and then look at the man with the hat. He wanted to show people how beautiful they were and how much light was in their face, really. And uh, so what he did was he went to Walmart and he got watercolors and some paper and brushes and he'd never painted in his life. And he spent hours with people. He said, I swear by the end... You, you, it looks like them. And he, he made a whole book of people, but he gave each one their print. And so he took pictures, too, so he could work at home. But he spent hours with people just showing them their face. So here's another one. Look at these two. Yeah. And here's another. He just wanted everybody to know how beautiful they were. So another way that you can get joy, like one, 
the way to walk away from joy is complaining. The way to get it is to accept that God comes close to you and then to encourage others. Here's a guy who's a Holocaust survivor, the next man. This was his favorite one. So, I think I'll just sum up. We need to learn how to disarm fear and negativity by accepting bad thoughts as simply the way things are. And then we can learn to wait and go fishing in the dark of our brain for a better thought. We can let God come close now, not waiting till we have everything together. And we can grow in accepting both comfort and accountability from the Holy Spirit. We can find a way to bring joy to others. And this is really a countercultural and revolutionary life. Full, full of hardship sometimes, but oh my goodness, so rich. Who wants to miss out on this quality of life? I, I just think it'd be good to do a little bit of prayer. Um, I, don't, I just want to lead in, in a, a bit of prayer, and then I'd like Matt to take over. I also want to say I, there's, so, there's so many churches in the world. Um, lots of them have good things going on. Lots of them have problems. I'm so happy for you guys that you get Matt and Jacinda. Right? Just people that there isn't a thing about them that isn't real. And they don't put on airs and they just want to serve. They want to build something for Jesus and they want to include so many people in it just to help them become all they can be. So let's try to think in prayer. What would you need more today? Would you need more the comfort of God's light bulb, of the light of the Holy Spirit, or would you need more the accountability I think we all need comfort first. So let's just open up our hearts. Maybe, maybe a, a, a good thing to, to do would be just to sit quietly, kind of a contemplative uh, pose. And uh, Father, I just thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that you're not ashamed of us. We are sometimes ashamed of ourselves, but you know us. Beloved, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. He knows that inside every single beating heart here today, and actually all the beating hearts outside as well, that there is just a longing for goodness. Now, sometimes we get trapped in a, in a dead end. Sometimes we get... But you absolutely love us. And you're longing for us to be free, to grow into the best version of ourselves. So would you just come now, and would you give a grace of comfort
to worship you all my soul rejoice take joy my king in what you hear let it be a sweet sweet sound in your So I'm just, I'm just imagining comfort coming and touching, almost like honeycomb, coming and touching the places that are a little broken or weak or shallow in us this week. I'm imagining comfort coming like um, uh, just a, a peace that's beginning to rest on a place where I felt too afraid, too stressed, and, and in another place where it was harsh words, and, and in another place where, where I just um, absolutely didn't believe in myself anymore. And in another place where I wondered if, if, if I had any meaning or any hope left. I, I'm just seeing these little places, just imagining and thinking of the honeycomb of God's peace coming to these. To the one that felt the stinging rebuke from someone when you didn't deserve it. to the one who's wondered about your health and to the one who's wondered about the health of the one you love. Come. Now I'm going to invite you to spend just a moment in silence and the other function of light is to show us what we can do. So, Father, would you whisper, would you give a, a meaningful next step, a beautiful next step that you will empower? Would you give each person a gift to think, this is what I need to do next. This is what I need to fix. This is the person I need to speak with. This is what I need to do next.